Uh, my name is Steve Adams. I'm very nearing on having been here for five years. Um, if you are visiting, our normal sort of practice when it comes to preaching, we normally preach through books of the Bible, but it's sometimes we'll do a, a topical series, and particularly over January we'll often do either some isolated ones off sermons. Uh, last year in January I did a series called Promises That Propel, looking at some of the promises of God that lead us towards maturity and joy in Christ. And I decided I'd do some of those again this year in January. But come February, we will be beginning our working through from start to finish the, the Gospel of Mark in a few weeks' time. So let's, let's come before God as we uh, look to his word together. Heavenly Father, what joy it is that we can have intimate union with you through the completed work of Jesus Christ. We know that in and of ourselves we are undeserving to come into your presence. But we can come before you boldly because Jesus Christ has acted on our behalf. You see us with the, the pure righteousness of Christ. We thank you that you have invited us into your family, adopted as your own sons. And Lord, as we look at that glorious promise this morning, that if we draw near to you, you, you promise you, you will draw near to us, that we might behold the joy of the closeness that we can have with you, that we might address any issues in our life that might have been a hindrance to us drawing near to you. But Lord, that we might enjoy in this year rich, close fellowship with you for the working of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you give us ears to hear and faithful hearts to respond this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I should welcome also those who are joining online who, for whatever reason, are unable to be with us this morning. Uh, thanks to the poor people this morning who are wearing masks just because particularly in one case, was in Greater Brisbane for less than two hours, but after that cut-off day. So thank you, Paul, for um, entertaining that idea. So today we're looking, we had read from James chapter 4, but the promise in particular that we're looking at is that promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, when you heard the reading from James chapter 4, no doubt there were a lot of very familiar phrases and verses in that passage. Maybe some you'd memorised. About God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Maybe resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we often memorise verses and we know them when we know them so well, yet we often don't know so well the context in which they fit in. So as today as we look at this wonderful and beautiful and glorious promise that God will definitely draw near to us if we draw near to him, then we also want to do the justice to the passage and make sure that we don't understand that principle in a way that is different to the way in which James presented it in James chapter 4. But you notice that promise, the almighty, amazing God, says he will draw near to us, is preceded, beforehand is a command, draw near to him. And in response, he will draw near 
to us. Now, I don't know a single Christian who does not desire to have a closer relationship with God. It should be the desire of every single Christian. Often it's when you ask someone for, how can I pray with you? They say, I just want to have a closer and more intimate walk with Jesus. It might have been your New Year's resolution. And if this is the desire of your heart, and hopefully as a Christian it is, then today we're going to look at God has promised he will draw near to you if you draw near to him. And as we think about this wonderful promise, we're going to look at two questions and also the glorious incentives. We're going to look at what isn't drawing near, what things are drawing near, and the blessing of nearness with God. So firstly, what is not drawing near? Now, if you've been at Eastgate for any period of time, you'll notice that I often, when I define terms or ideas, I don't just say what the ideas or the terms mean. I also think it helps to clarify to say what they don't mean. Because if we're talking about the wonderful promise that the Almighty God would draw near to us, if we draw near to him, then it's probably helpful for us to want to think to know How do we draw near to him? And what things might we falsely think are drawing near to him that actually are not drawing near to him? So we're going to start with three things that are not drawing near to God. The first of those is waiting to feel like God is near or within proximity before I will draw near to God. I've heard people say it in this way. I will draw near to God, but right now he he just doesn't seem like he's around. So if he doesn't feel to me like he's around, I'll wait until he is. When I sense he's nearby, then I will draw near. I've heard people say that. But that's the complete opposite of what James chapter 4 verse 8 says. It's the complete opposite of what a number of places in the Bible says. It doesn't say God will draw near to you, so you should draw near to him. It says, command, draw near to God, and in response he promises, he will draw near to you. Now certainly it's true regarding our salvation, that was God's initiative. Jesus himself says in John chapter 6 verses 44, he says, no one can come to to me unless the Father first draws him. But when it comes to our intimacy with God, The initiative, according to this command, is that we draw near to him and he, in return, will draw near to us. Now, this isn't just James's idea, the only person who expresses it this way. We see it a number of times in other parts of the scriptures. Zechariah 1.3, the Lord of hosts says, return to me and I will return to you. Or in Malachi 3.7, again, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So let this be clear. If you are a child of God, that is, you have recognised that you're a sinner, you have brought your sin before Christ in repentance and trusted in him and have become a child of God, God promises if you draw near to him, he will... Not not he might, he will 
drawn near to you. Even if right at this very moment you feel so far and far, he doesn't say if you feel like it's close, then I will draw near. He says, if you draw near, no matter where you are right at this moment, if you feel blank, you feel like nothing, or you feel close, whichever it is, if you draw near, he says, he will draw near to you. Everyone who draws near, he promises to draw near to in response. The second thing which is not drawing near, and I'm going to say this in a provocative way to get your attention, is reading your Bible. Now, before you all walk out and declare me a heretic, what I mean by that is intellectual curiosity does not mean drawing near. You could spend hours every single day studying the scriptures, establishing good doctrine and not be drawing near in that process. You could be memorising it. You could know all of the details about what it says and not be drawing near. Now let me illustrate what I mean by that. If I knew every single detail of every aspect of my wife, Sarah, and I could answer any single question in the world correctly, is that necessarily a sign that I have a close relationship with my wife? No, I could know every single thing about her without having a close relationship with my wife. When we read the scriptures, we should read the Bible to know him, not just to know about him. I think that's often why sometimes people, when they go to Bible college, they get discouraged because they think, I'm learning all this stuff. But they don't feel like they're drawing near doesn't mean that going to Bible college needs to have that effect, is that you can think about achieving a particular end of learning that you'll lose the joy of seeking the God who is revealed in the Scriptures. We should come to the Scriptures to know him personally and relationally, to be with him, to draw near to him. Because you can have great understanding and great doctrine without drawing near. Think of the way in which Jesus spoke to some of his religious, Jewish religious leaders. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have life. He says, and it is they that bear witness about me. He's not saying they don't understand what the scriptures say. He's saying you've missed the point, you've learned all the information, but you have missed the God who is God of the Bible. We need to be careful that we don't become so interested in learning about the Bible that we cease to seek the God of the Bible, to enjoy him, to enjoy fellowship with him. The third thing, which is not drawing near, again with a provocative title, is religious activity. And again, I say provocative because just like reading the Bible is a means to nearness with God, So can some of these things we're going to talk about now. But it would be wrong to presume that simply because somebody attends church regularly, maybe even involved in a small group throughout the week, maybe a member, maybe involved in actively serving the church, that necessarily by all of those things, that that means they are drawing 
near to God. They could merely be tasks which you are doing because you think that's what Christians do. It's not coming from a heart that desires to seek and to draw near to God at all. Christians should be committed to a local church. Some people who might be doing all those things might be frustrated, thinking, I don't feel that God is drawing near and I'm going to church every week, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But haven't drawn near to God in the process. Christians should be actively committed to a local church. That's a good thing. That's hence why I'm here, why all of us are here. But our commitment to our local church stems out of our identity. We are a blood-bought child of God, brought into a family of God's children. We are members brought into one body to build up one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to seek God together. Our goal in belonging to a church is not to be part of an institution. I have never once in my life heard an excited, engaged couple say, on this day, 2021, I am going to get the institution of marriage. No, they say, on this date, I am going to get her or him, whatever it may be. You're excited to get to know God to know him, to have him. Therefore, all of these activities, which are good in and of themselves, should stem from a desire to know, to seek and draw near to him. So there are three things that are not drawing near. Reading the Bible just to know stuff. Doing religious stuff as though it's ticking off a, a checklist. Or waiting until we feel like God's near before we draw near to him. So what does it look like to draw near to God and for him to draw near to us? Now I said I'm not going to take this verse out of context. So we're going to look at three things that specifically come from James 4 which define it, surround it and shape our understanding of this verse and also some other things from outside as well. The first thing that is part of drawing near is turning from sin to God. Drawing near to God includes not pursuing the things that will draw you away from God. That should be common sense and make sense. You cannot draw near to God while actively pursuing sin. Because one will draw you towards God, the other will draw you away from God. To use a crass illustration, it would be like trying to be faithful to your wife while pursuing an affair at the same time. Yet they can't coexist. Paul speaks of this conflict in Galatians chapter 5 by saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He says, if you live by your fleshly desires... That will prevent you by living by the Spirit. But he also says, if you live by the Spirit, that will hinder you pursuing the desires of the flesh. Or to word it in this way, either drawing near to God will keep you 
from sin or sin will keep you from drawing near to God. In our verse in James chapter 4 verse 8, James speaks of this as being double-minded. A few chapters earlier in chapter 1 verse 8 he says, the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The sort of person who wants to be half in each camp, half in the pursuit of God and half in the pursuit of their own selfish desires. The visible illustration that I like is that it's like trying to ride two horses. One that is the pursuit of God, one that is the pursuit of selfish and fleshly desires. In the end, it will tear you apart. Like I didn't do a visible visible illustration of that, but you get the picture. James knows these two pursuits of sin and God cannot coexist. And in that same verse that he calls them to draw near to God, he turns straight away and says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. A few verses earlier, in verse 4, he says, friendship with the world is enmity or hostility towards God. He says, you can't be drawing near while you're being hostile towards God. So as we approach a passage like this, we should ask the questions of God, as as the psalmist did. Search me and see if there's any wicked way within me. That we might repent from our sin, turn from God, turn from the things that are keeping us from pursuing him with our whole heart. Giving him thanks that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Draw near to God that he might draw near to you and that you might be so exceedingly satisfied in him that the other things of this world will grow so very strangely dim. That's our first one. You turn from sin to God. Our second means of drawing near to God is humble yourself before the Lord. Now, humility is an essential trait of all of God's children. It was a trait that Christ demonstrated in his incarnation. And it's not just because it's commanded throughout the Bible that we should be humble. It's not just because in the Bible God says he hates the proud or resists the proud. But even by nature, to come to salvation requires humility. To come to salvation, one needs to recognise that I am not right before God. And not only am I not right before God because of my sin, I can't do anything about it. I need him to act. I'm powerless to make things right with God by myself. I love the quote from John Flavel, 17th century theologian, speaking of humility. He says, They that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. It's a simple statement, but it's a wonderful one. They that know God will be humble. And when you see and ponder his supremacy, his majesty, the beauty and all of who he is, you will be humbled. But if you rightly come to an understanding of who you really are, we cannot be proud. In James chapter 4, two times, once before the call to draw near and once after, James calls his people to humble themselves before the Lord. In verse 6 he says, But he gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. After the, our command we're looking at, verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now the first reference is after he's talked about how friendliness with the world is hostility towards God. And in recognition of our sin before him, he says, but he gives more grace. I love hearing that. I need to hear that. Because I know the extent of the depravity of my heart. But he gives more grace, more grace than I could ever and have ever sinned in my life. Grace, as we know, is unmerited favour, receiving things that we do not deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness for sins, but everything we receive from God is a gift of grace. His drawing near to us is an act of his grace. And James says he gives his grace to those who are humble. True humility We need to acknowledge that even our ability to draw near is only by the power that he provides by his spirit. But our pride will keep us from drawing near because our pride says, I do not need another. Humility will draw you near in recognising that he alone is everything you need. The third of the drawing near from James chapter 4, is resist the devil and submit to God. Now, the resisting of the devil is very close to the idea of avoiding the worldliness and sin spoken in earlier verses. And much like the command to draw near, which comes with a command and a promise, it's the same. There's the command, resist the devil, and the promise, he will flee from you. Again, not he might, he will flee from you. Now this can be a very big topic and if you've got questions I'll have to take them after the service but I will make some important four points that I think we need to make. The first is this. Resisting Satan. Resisting is the opposite of submitting. So as the call to resist the devil means to not submit, not give in to his will and purpose. Secondly, if we resist the devil, he will, without doubt, flee from you. That's the certainty of the way in which the words are written in the scriptures. The third thing, that does not mean he will flee immediately, the very moment you first resist him. Look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Did Satan flee the very moment Jesus first resisted him? No. So you could understand it as continue to resist him until he flees from you, because he will. And fourthly, that does not mean that he won't return again to attempt later. So there are my four quick points. We do not submit to the devil. We resist him. We do submit to God because we don't do the opposite because the opposite of submitting to God would be to resist God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, that any area of our life in which we will not submit that area to God 
we resist God. We oppose God. And here we are looking at a promise to draw near, yet we're recognising we have aspects of us in which we resist, we, we oppose. The less we resist him, the more we will submit, the more we will draw near to him and he to us. Now there's just three thoughts from James chapter 4. But this idea of drawing near, it's a relational term. If you are called to draw near to a person in a relational sense, this is a real question so you can answer it, how do you draw near to somebody relationally? Come on, you shy kids. Said you're allowed to speak. Spend time with them. them. I've got them both sides of the room. We've got unity on both sides. You spend time with him. You get to know him. You talk with him. If you think that Googling information about somebody means drawing near to them or, or developing a sense of relationship with them, you might find you're falling a little bit short. You want to spend time. You want to talk. And if you really desire to be near to someone, you will look for every opportunity to do so. You'll have either seen a young lad or been a young lad who likes a young lady. And you watch that, you'll see how they go out of their way to find strange, weird reasons to spend time with that person and to talk with them. Things that they never would have done in a million years. Go to the ballet. How they answer that question and invitation to it comes down to, will she be there? I'm one who was in this list, but I'm sure there's a number in this list, who went to Christian things because there was a girl there that they liked. Or sometimes a guy will know a particular place where a girl's going to be, she walks that way, and so he goes there and acts all surprised like he didn't know she was going to be there, just so he can see her and talk with her. As we are called to draw near to God, we don't need to make up lame excuses or or plan sneaky little ways to to find him. Often when people are talking about the time they're reading the Bible and praying, they're saying, I'm going to spend time with God. Now we've warned that you can read the Bible in such a way that is not drawing near, just to learn about God rather than to know God himself. But the Bible is God's primary means that he makes himself known, where he reveals his will. It is his God-breathed word to us in all of it. It is living and active. It speaks to us. All of it. Not just the bit with red letters, if your Bible's got red letters. Not just the bits that preceded by, thus saith the Lord. All of it is God's word to us. All of it's profitable. To take an example from one of the readings from Ray used last week, Genesis 2.24, this is Moses narrating, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But when Jesus quotes the same thing that is Moses' words, to one extent, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Who created them from the beginning, male and female? God says, He said that. What we would see is Moses says, Bible says, God says. Because all of it is God's word. 
And as we come to look at the scriptures, we say, God, this is your word. It is living and active. When I come to your word, I want to hear your word. I want you to speak to me. I want to hear your word to me. When we pray, I don't want to just do a routine of, okay, I'll do this, this, and this. We are drawing near. We are speaking to the one we desire to know and to hear from him. When we come to church and we're preparing to come to church or a community group, we should be thinking, here is an opportunity to draw near to my beautiful and wonderful saviour. Here is an opportunity to, to encourage others in that same pursuit. In all that we do, think about how could I use this to seek to draw near to God, who promises that he will draw near to us. So in wrapping up, the blessing of nearness. Here's a trivia question. Who is the one person in the Bible who has encountered God who then said, that was pretty good, I'm satisfied, my life is complete now? I thought Nate had it for a moment then, but no. Nobody. Nobody has encountered God and thought, that's enough, that's, that's enough for me. In Exodus chapter 33, you see how Moses is described the way he has an exclusive access where he enters the tent and he says, speaks to God as if face to face like a person does to his friend. And as God's going to lead them out away from Sinai, he promises his presence with Moses. Moses had a pretty sweet deal. He spoke to him face to face. Does Moses say, man, I've got a good, I've reached the pinnacle. Moses says, show me your glory. He wants more. He's, he's seen something of God and he wants more and more. When Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer, be raised again on the third day and return to the Father, they're distressed. They're distraught. They're like, where are you going? When Jesus told Peter, Peter rebuked him and said, may this never be. But Jesus assured them, I will send you another helper. And the word translated another means another of the same kind. But get this from John 16, 7, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples about this. He says, it will be to your advantage, you will be better off that I go away so that I can send the helper to you. Just soak that in for a minute. Jesus says it is better off for them for him to no longer be physically present, incarnate amongst them, for him to go away and for the Holy Spirit to come, who is the fullness of God. Because when we think about that, that means that you and I, if we have trusted in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God dwelling inside us, Jesus would say that is more advantageous than those in the first century who saw him in their proximity. They had three years with Jesus in their presence, in their midst. And Jesus says, it is greater to have the Holy Spirit inside you. That same Holy Spirit that was eternally united in the Trinity, who wants to lead you and draw you in nearer and nearer to the Father, Son and Spirit.
What a privilege and joy. We can know this God and that this God has promised to draw near to us. If you need a little incentive and also a little insight of the promise that we're looking at next week, remind you of the words from the psalmist. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And next week we'll be looking at that promise of Jesus from John chapter 15, who says, that your joy may be full. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you promise if we draw near to you, you will, without hesitation, draw near to us. Lord, forgive us from the times when we have pursued such fickle things and we could have beheld something more of the wonder and glory of who you are. Lord, may we draw near to you. May we happily say goodbye to the sins that have drawn us away from you. May we happily surrender the the pride that has kept us from calling upon you in all things. Forgive us from times when we have become obsessed with learning things about you and lost the joy of just seeking to know you. Lord, may this year be a year that your people draw nearer and nearer to you more than they ever have before. And know the joy of being in your presence, an exceeding joy that will make them never want to be anywhere else. We thank you that you promised this to us. In Jesus' name, amen.